Welcome to Devotions in the Deep End. I'm Cam Buchanan, and this is a carefully crafted devotional journey through the New Testament. Let's venture into deeper water as we consider what it means to follow Jesus in the world we live in now. Welcome back to Devotions in the Deep End. Over the last few episodes, we have been looking at Jesus preparing his 12 disciples for a time of short-term mission to neighboring Jewish villages. We're going to complete that particular study in this time together. Our passage to look at is a large section, but worth reading out and taking in what is said. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 to 42. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but those who stand firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly, I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Students are not above their teacher, nor servants above their master. It is enough for students to be like their teacher, and servants like their master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household? So do not be afraid of them. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever publicly acknowledges me, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever publicly disowns me, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be the members of your own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes someone known to be a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes someone known to be righteous will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is known to be my disciple, truly I tell you, 
that person will certainly be rewarded. Now, we have just read a final address, right before a group of up-and-coming guys are about to minister to complete strangers for the first time, about something they are still somewhat only partially familiar with. They didn't fully understand this whole Kingdom of God deal, but they did intimately know its King. And as far as Jesus was concerned, that alone qualified them to go to a fully hostile world and share what they knew. Even though their mission was towards fellow Jews and supposedly brothers, Jesus knew that their message would put them at odds with many of their audience. The very same way they had mixed reactions when he shared it. But there was no other way that this message was going to get out there. The mission needed to go ahead. If the disciples were not willing to go, the message of the kingdom would not reach its intended audience. And the lost and leaderless people that Jesus saw from heaven in Ezekiel 34 and in person in Matthew 9 would remain in that spiritually lost state. Yet, despite its necessity, Jesus knew that the task that lay ahead would not be easy. So like a good boxing coach, he gives the disciples the tools they need to roll with the punches of their task as best they could. And that's basically the gist of the passage we've just read. There is a lot to digest in this passage, but I think we would do well to simply unfold this passage by looking at a few key verses. Then we can think about how these apply to our own missional contexts. First up, we see that Jesus calls the disciples to be streetwise and innocent. Verse 16 calls the disciples to be shrewd as snakes and innocent or harmless as doves. They were being sent by Christ into hostile territory, and they needed to set their mind in such a way that they would put themselves out there without being abused or trampled in the process. The word shrewd means to demonstrate practical wisdom. It means to be streetwise, to be on guard as we engage with the world around us. Frankly, we are the sheep and they are the wolves. As sheep, being a bit streetwise will protect us. In their case, this would be the edge that discerned which villages to stay in, which houses to reside in, and what lines of discussion they would use in various audiences to maximize their message without being abused or damaged in the process. The word innocent here means to be simple, sincere, and untainted in heart and mind. This was the part which would give the disciples the ability to be vulnerable and sincere in their witness. It was the part which caused them to continually put themselves out there despite the risk involved of doing so. Innocence and shrewdness needed to be held in a delicate balance and both needed to be present in equal amounts. If the disciples were all about being streetwise, they would become deeply cynical very fast, and this would harm their witness and their hearts. If they were all about being innocent, they would be overcome with naivety, and this would harm their person and make their witness less potent. An entirely innocent witness would be a very wishy-washy expression of faith, devoid of a key ingredient that I believe is necessary. The Greeks called it thumos, but in English, we would describe it as a sense of cause. Frankly, if this faith we have is not a cause, it won't be something worth embracing. A completely shrewd witness would be inappropriate as well. 
cunning without innocence, would rob them of godly simplicity and their message would end up coming across as self-driven and manipulative, rather than graceful and love-driven. So the first major idea is to lean into shrewdness and innocence with healthy tension and balance. Second, Jesus calls the disciples to identify with his sufferings. The rest of the passage outlines significant sufferings and trials awaiting disciples in their mission field. But Jesus also indicates that it's nothing that he himself hadn't experienced. He wasn't willing to send the disciples into something that he himself would not go. And just as we saw in the Sermon on the Mount, we see that the persecutions and trials will be clearly on account of their association with Jesus. Here's some examples from this passage. Jesus says, On my account, you are going to be handed over to legal authorities and even be arrested for the message you have. Looking further ahead, we know that all but one of the disciples died prematurely on account of their allegiance to Christ. Jesus says here that on my account, family members will betray each other. 30 to 40 years after this statement was made, Jewish families regularly sold out their Christian members to the Roman authorities. Jesus says people are going to hate you because of me, but salvation comes to those who hold out despite the world's hatred. Jesus says in the case of persecution and scrutiny from the world, students are not above their teacher. If they called Jesus' message demonic, then those who repeat it are going to get the same treatment. Yet, despite all that, Jesus clearly states this, I expect you to still publicly acknowledge me. Indeed, an unwillingness to do so makes you unfit for the kingdom of God. But then a significant statement would come, which would make the disciples sit bolt upright and take notice. From verse 37, we see that the disciples are being called to be devoted to Jesus above all other things, above their family members and above their very lives, to the point of taking up their cross. This is the very first time that word is used in the gospel story. Jesus has not told the disciples that he's going to be crucified yet. And right on the eve of their first experience of witness and mission, Jesus drops this bombshell. He's essentially saying this, You've seen a lot of the ways I'm being treated and rejected, but you also need to know that there are still more ways to come. I want you to identify with it all and be a witness of it all. This was to be more than wearing a bit of jewellery around their neck. This was a life lived under the shadow of separation and death. But if the disciples were willing to embrace all that, the promise was that the rewards are out of this world, literally. We see that these ominous statements are all balanced out with some clear reassurances. Rejection of the world and acknowledgement of Christ results in Christ acknowledging the disciples to the Father. They could walk up to heaven's gates and Jesus will say without hesitation, He is with me. There is hope in what Jesus is saying in all this. Sure, there are temporal things the world might be able to take from you. In the first century, believers were reduced to paupers many times over and forced to beg to eat in some cities. 
they were persecuted and even put to death. Even up to that point, only temporal things had been taken away, things which would be eventually eaten up anyway. But that which was eternal, the human spirit, the actual bit that makes us who we are, the part that gives life and causes us to draw breath, the bit that is really only using our bodies now as a form of perishable housing, that which is eternal will be preserved and rewarded by God himself. And also, there will be those that will hear and be rewarded also. Jesus says, if you do your part and they receive what you say on my behalf, they will be receiving me. If they receive me, they also receive God. Your faithful message is that powerful. So let's reflect a little with all this. It's a fact that no matter what level of persecution that is present, the world and its thinking will always be to some degree hostile to the gospel. This is simply because the mind of man prefers to entertain sin more than entertain God. Romans 8, 7 is right. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. But it does go on to say that a mind can choose who has control. A mind that chooses to be controlled or governed by sin remains hostile. A mind that chooses to be governed by the Holy Spirit produces life and peace instead. Peace in this passage means to be an end of hostility. The message of the gospel is the key to that peaceful end. But being a witness always means stepping into hostile territory in order for peace to be brought to the table. I think the challenge of this loaded passage for us is relatively simple. If Jesus was willing to eyeball his first and closest disciples and send them to potentially life-threatening and hostile territory with limited theology and a basic message which could be interpreted by many as a capital crime to the Jews, blasphemy, and to the Romans, treason with delegated power that was already being misunderstood by religious folk and considered by some as demonic, then what makes us think that we are off the hook in the far less hostile or life-threatening context that we would find ourselves? Friend, following Christ means living a sent life. We are all in that state, and now more than ever, the world around us needs the peace that we are able to bring with what we have in our hearts. The message of the gospel may at times be dangerous to proclaim, but it's also powerful when it is proclaimed. Let's think of the things Jesus has said in this passage and consider them for ourselves. Are we living in that place of balance between shrewdness and innocence? The way to tell is this. Are we becoming so cynical that we refuse to put ourselves out there anymore? That's an indicator that shrewdness has gone wrong. Or are we open to everyone and getting stomped on repeatedly? That's an indicator that innocence is going wrong. And this is common in individuals who want to see people helped so much that they sacrifice their boundaries to do so. Healthy disciples are able to hold these two ideas in a healthy tension. Are we taking up our cross or are we playing it a little bit too safe? What sort of Jesus are we identifying with in both our private and public Christian expression? 
Is it an inconspicuous and unimposing image of Jesus, who keeps the peace, doesn't make waves and won't reject anyone whether they accept him or not? Or is it the way this passage portrays him, misunderstood by some and received by countless others, dangerous and powerful, yet still associated with suffering and death? If we cannot associate with his suffering in such a committed way, we will never truly articulate what the cross really meant in the way it redeems mankind. Our message will only ever be a nice story, not an urgent call to repentance or change that this world desperately needs to be told. So, modern disciple, be shrewd, be innocent, and be true to our identity in Christ. Live like we're sent people. Let our message be potentially dangerous to ourselves, knowing it is powerful to change the eternal course of people's lives if we're brave enough to proclaim it. May you find a new sense of sentness and mission right where you live. May you be bold and faithfully present in your neighborhood, ready to proclaim the kingdom when the opportunities present themselves. Thanks for tuning in. To stay in touch, like our Devotions in the Deep End Facebook page and subscribe on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I look forward to catching up next time.